Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, the podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. So, Betsy, we talked about this already many times on our newly revamped show, What's Up with Betsy Johnson, and that's the fact that there seems to be very little room for movement on either side of the political spectrum. And you tell me you've gotten a call from some uh, legislator that is wondering, why does it have to be like this? So why does it? Well, it's interesting. Let me set the scene. I got an anguished call from a freshman legislator, a very thoughtful guy. And um, the gist of the story was, why can't we just get along? Uh, He wanted to know Why can't you take the best ideas from both parties? And why can't we sit and reason and negotiate together? And why can't we um, have the kind of convivial relationship that allows us to disagree in a principled way and then come together around the things, the ideas that are shared ideas? And it, it was a nasty deja vu for me because that's exactly what I tried to offer in my ill fated run for governor. But to have somebody uh, call me up and say, look, you've got lots of experience. Why does it work as badly as it works? And I have to be honest, I felt a little like stomping bunnies when I was explaining to him that the whole structure of the Oregon legislature is based on the um, acquisition of power and the retention of power. The committee structures are powerful. The leaders on the House and the Senate side are the speaker and the president both clawed up to those offices and acquired the power to to really run the entire show. I think it's a little known secret that the presiding officers have the ability to step on the air hose of any idea or any person. I mean, a couple of times when I got out of line, I would have the Senate president come down to my office and remind me of the hierarchy and remind me that I held a very coveted committee assignment and that it could be withdrawn at any moment when I was seen as an apostate or not part of the team. And this this young freshman who has not been on the decision side of the door yet was saying to me, Betsy, I, young representative, have good ideas. Why can't they get heard? And my answer was, one, you're a freshman, two, you're in the minority party, and three, you gotta, you got to roll with the power structure down there if you're ever going to aspire to the seats where you get to make serious policy choices about what committees go forward. And I, I felt like Dracula telling him that, but that's the fact of the matter. And I'll just conclude by saying, before I ran for governor, we did focus groups, we polled, and we tested the question, do you want less politics in your politics? And the answer was, oh, yeah. Do you, uh, could you tolerate a non-affiliated governor? Yeah, that means less politics in our politics. And we had numbers that substantiated running for governor without party affiliation. And at the end, everybody ran right back to their little partisan corners going, if you, uh, you know, you, you, if you vote for Johnson, you'll, you'll elect Kotek. That's the mantra of the R's. If you uh, vote for Johnson, you'll elect Drazen. That was the D's. And they all ran back to their partisan corners. I even had people call me up and say, we thought you had the best ideas. We liked your campaign, but we don't think you're going to win. And consequently, we're going to vote for somebody else. So um, I I talked to this young freshman for probably the better part of an hour. 
and um, sent him off to think about what all it would take to organize um, a nonpartisan initiative to talk about nonpartisan ideas, especially because he wears a partisan jersey in a highly politicized organization. Well, and uh, to kind of dovetail that with uh, the the issue of the walkouts, um, there's been a recent decision by Oregon Secretary of State regarding whether the Republicans who walked out are going to be allowed to run for re-election. And I'm not sure, and I don't even think you're sure, maybe nobody's sure what it what it all means and how it's going to turn out. But right now it's going to, it's going to end up in the courts, no doubt. And I don't know how, how high it's going to go. Um, but that's got to be a concern as well. If you walked out and you can't run for re-election, uh, what do you do? Well, let's talk about the walkouts a little bit. Now, I wasn't there, so I heard this anecdotally. But people asked to be excused on a Sunday so that they could attend church services. And it was initially approved, and then it was disallowed retroactively. Um, people asked to do personal business, which is generally granted, and that was disallowed to get to the 10 uh, unexcused absences. So I think that the playing field was not exactly level in making sure that it turned out the way that ballot measure uh, 113 prescribed. So that's issue number one. Issue number two is, is the denial of quorum the exercise of political free speech, ergo protected by the First Amendment? That will certainly be litigated, and the Republicans in the Senate have hired a lawyer with dentition like a velociraptor. I mean, this guy is a ferocious lawyer with some um, very substantial wins under his belt, including the largest award in Oregon's history, which was overturned in Kate Brown's higher-up courts. I mean, when I say Kate Brown's, she appointed um, a huge number of judges in this state who mirror her political ideology. But the fact, and I'll say his name, it's John DiLorenzo, the fact that he had gotten a billion dollar verdict, uh, biggest verdict in Oregon's history. So it will be litigated. How high up it goes, I don't know. But the final takeaway for Oregonians is that the ballot measure was very poorly drafted. And that's what you get when you draft legislation and put it uh, up for the vote of the people. And unfortunately, people are moved by the sound bites. You know, you want to pay those rascals if they don't show up. Nobody talks about the tyranny of the majority and the fact that denial of quorum is one of the last tools in the toolbox of the minority. Um, both the R's and the D's have done it. Uh, the D's walked out my freshman session in the legislature uh, when I still wore that jersey. So it's not just a gambit of the Republicans. It is really the last tool that the minority party has. And so you've got the combination of an interesting legal test, a very poorly drafted um, uh, ballot measure that Oregonians, frankly, fell for, and uh, the very real possibility of shenanigans behind the scenes and I think it will make a fascinating court case with a very competent, able lawyer um, representing the Senate Republicans. 
So as far as the electorate goes, you know, you, you vote for people presumably to show up and vote. And maybe you can explain a little bit as to why uh, the minority party doesn't want to show up. I mean, it, not the issues per se, but there's a, a technical reason why they don't want to show up. Well, it, it surrounds the issue. Um, bills have to pass in the Senate with a majority of 16. If the R's didn't show up, well, first of all, to start a quorum, you have to have a prescribed number of people. And so they don't show up and they fail on the quorum test. And then in other days gone by where people didn't show up for one reason or another, it denied the required 16 majority to pass bills. It always, in my experience, has to do with the nature of the bill. And this time, the nature of the bill, uh, two there were two bills, highly volatile issues in our cultural uh, dialogue one of them had to do with transgender affirming care for kids and the uh, and abortion and those two were linked together and then the other one was guns and so you take the two most volatile issues on our social cultural landscape and you put them into bills and you drop them on the floor and then everybody acts surprised uh, anybody who lives in Oregon reads a paper, goes outside, talks to somebody or listens to the news on TV could have affirmed that those were two of the most volatile issues that are present in our political discourse. And the R's um, left and, and denied a quorum. There were other conversations, side conversations about whether or not the bills had been drafted compliant with the requirement that all bill language be plain and simple and easy to understand. And and so there'll be lots of little twists and turns in the legal saga that eventually I think will work its way to the Oregon Supreme Court, but that's just me. And just so folks know, Oregon's legislature has 30 senators, 60 House of Representative members, state representatives. And so when the uh, Democrats have a majority, as they do right now, if the Republicans show up to vote on something, it doesn't matter how they vote. If the Democrats all decide to vote for it, it's going to pass. And that's why they didn't show up. That's correct. And the other thing that's interesting is, and I'm now jumping to another very poorly crafted ballot measure. Uh, in fact, I think a fraud perpetrated on Oregonians. And that's ballot measure 110. Um, ballot measure 110 is going to be litigated. Uh, but the point that I was about to make is that there are things on the floor called procedural votes. When everybody on one team is supposed to vote just the way they're told and to buck a procedural vote um, inside a caucus, whether you're an R or a D, is really, really serious and treated um, harshly by the, the party whose apostate member dared to vote against uh, the, the, the team. I have bucked procedural votes before and ended up with the knock on the door and its party leadership from the Senate yelling at me. But um, uh, you're supposed to vote with the home team. Interestingly enough, there was a, a motion uh, to take a bill out of committee and bring it directly to the floor. And the Democrats on the House side let six of their people off the hook on a procedural vote because to bring a bill from committee directly to the floor is a procedural motion. 
So everybody that wears one jersey is supposed to vote one way, and everybody that wears another jersey is supposed to vote another way. Now, the Democrats made sure that the bill failed, but they still let six of their guys off the hook. Very, very unusual. And what that said to me was that they didn't want those six people to go home and face their electorate with what could be considered a, uh, uh, a support of legalized drugs and open use of drugs in Oregon. So uh, those are little subtle tells that, um, you know, the, the party machinery is pretty well greased, but uh, sufficiently pragmatic on the part of the majority that they would let six of their guys step out of the line of fire uh, and not have to go home and face an electorate with growing dissatisfaction apropos ballot measure 110 and the open use of drugs everywhere in Oregon. Well, I know this happened to you during your Senate career. You voted against some procedural measure or something. And then later on, you know, months after the fact, when everybody forgot what it was all about, it was portrayed that you voted against something. I believe in this case, it was like legal defense or something like that. You voted one way on a procedural vote. And then it was portrayed as you voting against the concept, which it's not the same thing. Oh, never, never, never. I mean, I actually made an effort to read the four corners of the bill uh, and buried in some of the bill language were things that were not acceptable to me. And you're absolutely right that they would be characterized as, you know, in, in the case of legal defense, Johnson doesn't want indigents to have uh, representation by lawyers. Well, we've gotten so twisted around in our public defense services that we've now expanded all sorts of categories of legal representation. It used to just be criminal and now we were expanding it to other stuff. The agency was so poorly run that I swear the baby Jesus couldn't have made that agency successful were he the, the uh, administrator. Um, the contracting is terrible. They didn't pay the lawyers enough. It was a mess. So the point of that story is that very complicated concepts get washed down to just sound bites. And the sound bite is what a very lazy media picks up. And a sound bite is what the parties um, tout in their election materials and their press releases they don't frequently go under the hood to say is XYZ good policy and uh, a bill that should pass and become law in the state of Oregon. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.